Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Beaver Banter, an Oregonian sports podcast. I'm Joe Freeman, senior writer with The Oregonian, and he's Nick Daschle, Beaver's beat writer with The Oregonian. And we're here to talk all things Oregon State. Nick, how the heck are you today, buddy? Well, a little tired from last weekend, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my win back. It's not over yet, man. You're getting to the stretch run. I need you to dig deep. Dig deep. Yeah, but there was three. There was three Friday, Saturday, Sunday games, so they won't be this week. This week's a lot easier. There are a lot of road games this week, so that reminds me of the. Uh, I think it was a two thousand. Well, I can't even remember now. It was either eleven or twelve. The NBA strike year, and they had back to back to backs. There was at least a couple of those, and those were brutal. I can't imagine playing in those. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I bet you could golf three days in a row. Yeah, but golf isn't. I mean, although I do walk when I play golf, I don't like to ride carts. So there's that. So um, how many days in a row could you play golf now or when I was when I was no, no, now oh, now? I mean, I could still play every day if I was playing. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, once I get my hands, you know, leathered up and, and you know, I'm not peeling my my skin off my because i don't usually use gloves so once that yeah. once my hands are good i'm i'm good i mean i play i played once last year so how's that I really went, once i went out it was the first time i played in five years wow i went out i thought sh- you were a big golfer i well i used to be I used to be a four handicap but now i you know i you know you get married you have kids you your back goes bad you know things like that and you get busy and yeah, I played once last year. Shot an 82 at OGA. Not to brag, I used to be a, a, a four handicap, and I didn't play in five years, but I shot an 82. Well, but I'm just no, telling no. you, I'm just telling you, if I could, <laughs> if, if I had the time to play, I'd, I'd probably kick your ass. Uh, there is no question about that, because <laughs> I am not good and have never been at go- good at golf. Yeah. But I would challenge you to uh, uh, pick your other sport. Yeah, I'm sure you'd kill me and everything else. So, so maybe pickleball because you're not you're not over fifty yet. No, think. pickleball's fun. I haven't played in a few years, but it is uh, it's fun. A buddy of mine used to have a a little course set up in his backyard. We'd play back there every now and then. I thought stuff. you had to be an old. I thought you had to be an old an old to play pickleball. Haven't you heard? Pickleball's taken over the I know, world. It's taken over because it's an old man sport, old old person sport. Well, I hate to tell you this, but I'm not as young as I look, and so I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm approaching old man age. I am here. looking. At, I'm look. I am looking at a at a dark beard. So I, I, I see there's no gray, unless unless well, you're, unless you're coloring it. So you no, know, not yet. There's you can't tell. There's some some grays flecking up in the mustache. The problem is the eight and five year olds. I think by nine and six, it's just going to be fully gray, and and you can certainly relate to that from years ago. Yeah, well, whaler teenagers, of course. Boys, no, are, thank you, no, thank you. Yeah, except no. except with boys, boys are boys are a handful from the get go. Girls wait until they're teenagers, and then they and then they knock you off the face of the earth. Yeah, no. I am not mentally or emotionally prepared for my children to reach age twelve yet. I have two daughters, and that's, oh, oh, they're uh, da- oh, they're, well, then you're fine. There's no reason you don't have to worry until you're there, like twelve. Once they're twelve, you know, that's when that's when the drama starts. 
Yeah. I, I keep hearing about these easy kids people have. Oh, yeah, my child's such an angel. I don't know easy children. That does not exist in my world. My children are lovely. I love them dearly. They're wonderful humans, but they are very, they are, there's no easy about my day to day with them. They are handfuls. I don't know. I, I just, I just, hands. I found it pretty easy until they got to be teenagers. Then, and then, you know, that's when the drama starts. There's fights, well, there's fights nonstop. Yeah. I, 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 like I said, I'm not mentally or emotionally. And then when prepared. they get to be yeah. adults, it's a crapshoot. They're still kids. Well, I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, you know what? I, I told myself a, a couple months ago that I was going to slow down. I was going to enjoy, you know, I don't have babies anymore. Like I said, they're eight and five. And, you know, they're not going to be this young anymore. And I'm going to look back 10 years from now and forget about all the annoying bad stuff and only remember the fun, cute stuff. And so I'm trying to live in the moment and embrace the fun and cute right now. So let, I'm going to focus on that. You know, let, 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 I'm going to enjoy these these days and months ahead. I don't know. My, my youngest daughter, she always tells me, Dad, why did you let me go to school looking like that? And I, I don't know. It wasn't, I mean, not my problem. <laughs> You're supposed to say I because I had no control over anything I you had, did. I didn't. I had no control over any of that stuff. Although they did wear uniforms in, gra in grade school, so no. I didn't really. All right. Well, we could talk about our children for an hour, but well, I'm, I'm sure, sure people want to hear about it. Do you think they'd rather hear about that than, oh, I don't know, maybe they would. Yeah. I don't know. Let, they okay, you know here for we're, Oregon we're gonna... State, so we're going to give them Oregon State. There you go. We're going to dish on the two hottest programs on campus. That would be the women's basketball team and the baseball team, of course, and a program that's not so hot. You guys know which one that is. Let's kind of get into the good first, and we'll start with women's basketball. Beavers are ranked ninth in the country and find themselves in a three-way tie for second place in the Pac-12 with USC and Colorado. The trio of teams are two games back of Stanford. Nick? How'd we get here? Let's take a step back to last weekend, that incredible victory over UCLA. For those of us who didn't didn't attend, set the scene for us, lead us through the dramatic ending. Let's let's uh, ready, set, go. Well, how'd we get here? Uh, I mean, we got here through last year's team, really. I mean, they 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 had to learn a lot of lessons last year. Now they're starting to grow up. And I mean, this team goes nine or 10 deep and it's hard to defend Oregon state right now because they have so many options, uh, you know, at the offensive end, they've got the outside shooters. They, they, they did have Reagan beers until, until an elbow on two, on Friday night, but, and they've just got a lot, they've got a lot of options. And so that's, that's where all this is coming from. What happened Friday night was that was, it was a, pretty good to very good game that just turned into an epic at the end i mean it was it was i mean the reagan beer situation kind of kind of got people you know wondering what was going to happen oregon state kind of hung in there ucla had you know oregon state played enough defense to keep themselves in it and then the finish was just incredible i mean four baskets in the last 6.6 .6 seconds you know, timeouts, calling a play, running it to perfection all four times. Oregon State had the ball last, and that's why they won. Because <laughs> I, you know, I think if UCLA had got the ball last, they would have won the game. That's the way that ending went. And you know, when you're playing in front of a, a building that you know hadn't had that sort of crowd in in a few years, that just made it even more special because it was it was loud and it got louder at the end. Yeah, and and obviously Talia had had the huge moment there, and I, I don't know. Lead us through a little bit of what you saw from your perspective. I mean, she was pretty emotional after the game. You talked about the lumps that this team took last year to get here, and and I mean, I think when you look at her career, she kind of uh, is a poster child for for kind of this two year stretch. But you know, what did she have to say, and kind of what did you take away from from the emotion that she showed? Not to mention just that incredible moment standing up on the on the uh, the courtside area there and all that. Well, I mean, she's been through the ringer. Obviously, she came here. He has a pretty highly touted guard out of the Tri Cities area. Um, she graduated early from high school and, and was able to come to Oregon State in the middle of January because of the pandemic. Um, the NCA made an exception for that. So she comes into this team, you know, really as a high school senior playing her first year at Oregon State, steps in, plays 10, 15 games on an NCA tournament team, lots of expectations, 
you know, thinking that she's going to be the one to lead this team to greatness over the next several years. And then the next last last two years have been not so good. I mean, last year was the worst season Oregon State's had in a decade. And so, you know, she I'm sure she wondered, you know, what was going on. And now it's all coming. It's all it's all coming true for her at this point. She's had some moments this year where she's led the team. And Friday night is really where it where you know where she hit her high with with all you know the the thing with her is is i mean everybody's going to look at the basket that she hit the two baskets at the end but it's her defense that's really Mm -hmm. taking this team to another level i mean she just scott just puts her on their best guard and she takes them out of the game i mean sunday's game against you know usc juju watkins is arguably the best player in the country i mean i know a lot of people think caitlin clark is but Shoot, Juju Watkins is. I think she's going to be a better pro than than Caitlin Clark, and she held her to. I think it was six out of thirty-two shooting. I mean, she's the leading scorer in the Pac-12 with twenty-eight points a game, and I mean, she had to work to get her eighteen. So, yeah, it was. I mean, there was no, no no question that she was emotional after that Friday game, just so what happened, just based on the four years leading up to that point. Hmm. Well, I mean, she had the the most memorable moment, obviously, but the atmosphere in general, uh, you know, how, how does how does that moment, how does the the crowd and all that kind of kind of rank on on the list of games you've attended in, over the years, and certainly in recent years, and just with regard to to women's basketball. Well, I mean, I would say women's basketball. I mean, it was it's probably the best game that Oregon State this Oregon State's had at Gill. Mm-hmm. At least, probably since the Stanford game, you know, six, seven, eight, whatever year, 16, 17, I can't remember. The, the one they sold out, they had the bit largest crowd in, in school history and won mm-hmm. where they beat Stanford. Um, that's the only, I, I'm trying to remember those. They, they have, it's like the only one they've had over Stanford in the last. I don't know, 15 years, maybe something yeah. like that, that, that one, that one was pretty special, but I mean, for an atmosphere, oh man, it's, I mean, that Arizona state, Oregon state men's game a few weeks ago was, was pretty, pretty good, but there was not quite the crowd and the stakes weren't nearly as high. It was just a, you know, your garden variety, regular season, midweek game, as opposed to, you know, a de facto top 10 type women's basketball game. This one was way more important and it, you know, kind of lived up to the building. I, I, I was probably the, probably the, at Oregon state, I'd say probably, probably the best game I've, I've seen given, given the, you know, the, the atmosphere and everything. Yeah, that's was what I was going to kind of wonder about was it, the stakes. You know, there's so much at stake. It was such an important weekend for a team that has, you know, significantly exceeded expectations, at least external expect, yeah. expectations and, um, you know, kind of to thrust themselves in contention for a Pac-12 championship and have these two big games at the end of the year. I, I just felt like the moment was, uh, you know, it lived up to the moment. And, uh, you know, it can only give you momentum, I, I, I would think, heading forward. That said, you know, the win did not come without a cost. Obviously, Reagan Beers suffered an injury. Uh, what's up with her? How long do we expect her to be sidelined? You know, how, how, what's the impact of her, of her injury on, on what's moving forward? Well, I mean, it's, uh, that, that was a big injury, obviously. I, I think they beat USC if she plays because they have to change their offense a little bit now without her other. As far as when she comes back, I mean, they're pretty secretive about around women's basketball about injuries. Uh, she's got a broken nose. My guess is Saturday, Sunday she was in concussion protocol. They didn't say that, but that's my guess because she had earplugs in and she left for the locker room at halftime. Um, again, I'm I'm not saying that's what I know. I'm just speculating that's what it was. Informed but, speculation, right? I mean, uh, my guess is if you're wearing earplugs, there's probably something going on, you know, in your head a little bit. Um, when she comes back, you know, assuming she's clears protocol concussion protocol you know she's got to get used to wearing a mask i would guess i i don't know that we're going to see her this weekend but i wouldn't write wouldn't rule it out i don't know that you want to roll her out for her first game back against stanford but 
you know, when you're ready to go, you're ready to go. And then it's just a matter of, you know, how comfortable is she wearing a mask? Some players can deal with it. Some have difficulty with it. So I guess we'll see. You know, the big thing is you want to have her ready for the Pac-12 tournament. Because that's mm-hmm. where that's where you can really, right now, as long as they don't, as long as they don't lose, say, three of their next four, they're going to still stay in a top four seed for the NCAA tournament. But if they can win three of these four, maybe even beat Stanford, and then get to the Pac-12 tournament, maybe get to the championship game, I mean, they could play their way up to a two seed. And so, but they can't really do that without beer. She, she, they're they're good, to very good team without her. They're they're a borderline four, final four team with her. Man, I'm all for the mask. Bring me that 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 attitude. Give me that enforcer. Uh, you know, as as this team kind of heads into its its final couple of weekends here, uh, the schedule is quite favorable. They they play uh, you know at Pullman, then at Seattle against UW, then they they host Stanford and host Cal. So you're looking at the best team in the conference. And then, you know, three of the five worst teams in the conference. And so, um, you know, if there was a, a game for her to have to miss, it could be worse. Um, that said, I agree with you. I don't, I don't want her just coming back for Stanford and getting thrown into the fire. I, I would rather her, you know, be able to, to yeah. work back with the mask and all that stuff against UW or, or Washington State. But, and this is a, assuming concussion is, is what we're dealing with. There, there, there's no rushing that back. She has to get cleared. She has to go through a right. series uh, of steps to, to get out of the concussion protocol. So as any, uh, as any one of us knows who plays fantasy football, you, you can't, you, you know, you can kind of help an ankle or you can, you can help a, a wrist or whatever, but a concussion is your brain. And so um, again, assuming that's what it is, just have to be patient on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as we do look for these last four games, kind of laid out what's ahead, boy, sure would be cool. Stanford might, might, you know, eclipse that atmosphere we saw on Friday, but, but what's at stake kind of the next uh, couple of weeks and next few weeks here, Nick? Well, you know, a couple things. It looks like the PAC 12 championship is out because when they lost to USC Stanford's schedule, I mean, let's be honest. Their schedule was is as soft as any in the Pac-12 this year. They've really got a great schedule. They only have to play Colorado, Utah, UCLA, and USC. All teams that have been in the top 15 all year once instead mm-hmm. of twice. Oregon State plays all those teams twice. The, the, only, the only good team they play twice is Oregon State. So Stanford had a, had a, had a leg up to begin the year. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they play Arizona, Arizona State at home. They should win those games running away. And then they also have Oregon and Eugene. That's another game they should win pretty comfortably. So there's not two losses left on Stanford's schedule, and that's how many Oregon State would need in order to, to make up the difference. So there, so let's just say the championship's out. The next thing you're looking for is to wrap up a top four seed in the in the in the in the Pac-12, so you can get a first round bye in the tournament. That looks pretty good as long as they can split in Washington. I'm not saying they have to sweep; they just split, just split two of these last four games. I think that would be good enough because Colorado. Utah, UCLA, and USC all play each other next weekend. They're gonna. They're, that's four losses between those four teams. Those are the teams they're battling to get one of those top four. So I think as long as they can win two of the last four, they're gonna get a top four seed and get a first round bye. Now, in in, in previous years, you'd want to try to avoid playing Stanford in the Pac-12 tournament as as long as you could. I'm not sure Stanford is as good as they've been in the past. So I, I don't know where, I don't think it really matters what seed they get as long as they get one of those top four seeds. That's really what they're playing for at this point. And then once you get the Pac 12 tournament in Vegas, you know, then it's, then it's just, you know, then you're just starting to look at, you know, how many games can we win? What, how we position ourselves for the NCAA tournament? Cause they know they're in. They just want to get one of those top four seeds in the NCAA tournament so they can play at home in the first two rounds of the tournament. Right. Okay. Well, I think we set the, set the scene there. Uh, you know, we'll drop some haymakers later. Let's, let's stay positive. Dropping haymakers. Jamie, how about the baseball team and the home runs, man? Yeah. You know, I entered the season pretty high on this team. I kind of spent the off season telling all of my Oregon state friends, friends who were Oregon state 
alums and whatnot that uh, that they should expect a pretty good season. That I thought it, it could potentially be a special season. Um, and I have to say, the Beavers had an even better opening weekend than I expected. The you know everybody I talked to ahead of ahead of the opener and just you know, with what they were returning and every, everything I saw in, in, I watched a couple scrimmages, you know, everybody thought this lineup could be very, very good. Uh, you know, Ryan Gibson, the pitching or excuse me, the hitting coach thought he would, it could be the best in school history. And that's saying something with the, Oh, with the 18 team and the 17 team and, and on down the road. Uh, but there's no way to tamp down those expectations now, man. Uh, First four games, OSU scored 42 runs and hit 14 home runs. They had a game with seven in their opener. They had another game with five. The seven tied the school record. Um, they slugged 746. Lineup is just loaded up and down with, with guys who have power, guys who can hit into the gap, guys who get on base. Uh, and we didn't see it a ton because we didn't have to, but it's also a very fast lineup. Uh, you know, multiple guys stole stolen bases, include including Travis Pizzano, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, it was a very, you know, surprise is surprise. It's not like they're playing, you know, four top top 25 teams. Uh, but Minnesota is a, a very patient offense. It draws a lot of walks. New Mexico is usually a decent second tier program. Um, and then, you know, Cal State Bakersfield to slip a coin on them. And they really didn't get challenged. There, there was one relatively close game, and they were in command of that game uh, for the most part, too. There was, there was a game that was 2-2 kind of late until they pulled away with, I think it was like 13 runs in the last two innings. So just didn't get tested, really was in command and in control the whole time. A couple quick takeaways from that offense. I wanted to look at, at two uh, hitters in particular. Uh, Travis Bazana just went bonkers and, and it shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, he's going to have a special, special season. The hype about him being a top five pick, maybe even a number one pick in the NBA, in the NF, in, excuse me, MLB draft pick is your real. Pro league there, Joe. Pick your pro league, man. He's that good. Um, MLS, he was a maybe. yeah, MLS. Well, actually, you know what? He's, He's an Aussie, so his second sport was always cricket growing up. Right, so let's, yeah. let's let's give him the cricket uh, nod there. But, I mean, he was just ridiculous. He earned Pac-12 Player of the Week, uh, the, the debut award there. He was also today – by the way, we're recording Tuesday morning, February 20th. He was named the Co-National Player of the Week by Perfect Game. Through four games, he's hitting 563. He's got three home runs already, seven RBIs. I mean, he is locked in. So, but that's not a surprise. Again, you know, he he, he entered the his career with high expectations, and he has absolutely delivered on those. Another guy who entered his college career with high expectations, we were finally able to see, and I think that was the other kind of notable development offensively this weekend, and that centers around freshman third baseman Trent Caraway. He seems as good as advertised. He was kind of a top sixty-ish guy in last year's MLB draft uh, talked to him last week and he said um, I think he said a team reached out to him in the third round to see if they drafted him if he'd sign and he said no he, he wanted to be a day one guy he thought he was a day one guy and so he went to Oregon State which was just an absolute score for them kind of like uh, Gavin Turley last year uh, after four games his first four games all he's doing is batting 500 he had two homers, two doubles, and he made a couple of really nice plays on defense at third base. So it's only been four games, uh, and, and again, it's not like top, top, top tier competition, but I was really impressed with his approach at the plate, his maturity. Um, it was kind of funny. I, I talked to him last week before they left and uh, kind of asked him whether he felt, I don't know, a sense of responsibility heading into the season. You know, he's He's a young dude playing with a bunch of vets. He's on a team with national championship aspirations. You know, I kind of wondered how that would phase him, you know, how that would affect his approach or maybe ramp up the pressure. And his response was great. He basically said, man, I'm a freshman and I have no clue. So I'm going to use that to my advantage. Um, he, he's kind of like, I got nothing to lose. I have no clue. I'm just going to have fun. And and he clearly he clearly had fun in surprise. The other biggest development stepping away from that, uh, you know, prodigious lineup 
was the pitching. And that was the biggest question mark coming in to the year. And, and keep in mind that all the pitchers are on a pretty heavily guarded pitch count, especially early in the season. Um, and so you're not going to see a guy, you know, on his on his full inning count or anything like that. But there were some really encouraging developments from that standpoint. Aiden May, who is the transfer from Arizona, who is, is the Beavers' new ace, he was really solid in the opener, you know, kind of hit 95 and up. With his fastball, he, he beat New Mexico, gave up just one run and four hits. But he had multiple sliders that really, uh, you know, kind of kept hitters off balance with that heat. Uh, really, I think he throws five pitches and really used, mixed them all really well. You know, the, he, he had a kind of an underwhelming uh, stats line last year at Arizona, but he played in a hitter's paradise. It was his first year in the Pac-12 and pitching coach Rich Dorman was emphatic that they think a change of scenery with a better team around him, second year in the Pac-12, and in not an insane hitter's ballpark would really increase his stock. And after one game, there's no reason not to believe him. The other couple of things, freshman Eric Segura made his first college start, and he was pretty impressive. Gave up two runs in five innings, had great pace, great control. I think he uh, threw first pitch Strikes to 17 of 21 batters he faced, really worked ahead in the count, was composed, really looked like he belonged. And that's going to be huge as that was the biggest thing with this team last year. They had absolutely no pitching depth and particularly starting pitching depth. Uh, Jacob Kamatz, Jaron Hunter suffered late season injuries and didn't even pitch in the postseason. And so the Beavers just had no chance. And I think the staff Dorman and everybody else kind of had to reevaluate how they chased the transfer market, uh, you know, transfer portal and, and tried to add to that depth. And so, you know, they went after uh, Paul Skeens two summers ago and, you know, he wound up at LSU because you can't compete with that NIL and, and other things. He came to visit Oregon State and, and then kind of chased the bag and, and ended up winning a national championship. So good on him. But they had to change who they pursued and how they approached that. And I think Aiden May was a perfect guy there. Um, and then going back to that depth they now have, Kamatz and Hunter made their long-awaited returns from injury. They were a little more up and down, worked behind in the count, threw a lot of balls, kind of labored more. Pitch count got way too high. Um, you know, they only went three and four innings or something like that, respectfully. But seeing them back was positive uh, for them to return and kind of get their feet wet again after after not pitching all fall and then not kind of ramping back up here uh, during camp. So uh, and then behind them, bullpen was really good. Uh, for the most part, there was a couple shaky moments. Tyler Mejia was 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 not on his game, but Bridger Holmes was electric. He's a new guy. He's a JC transfer. Freshman Drew Talav struck out the side in his only appearance. AJ Lattery, the chiseled vet, was great. Kyle Scott was a little erratic in his first save chance, but he did close the game. Um, and then from kind of a, I don't know, an inspirational standpoint, Joey Munt, hard-throwing right-hander, made his first appearance after missing the last two years recovering from elbow surgery. He pitched a scoreless inning, struck out two, uh, so it was nice to kind of see kind of see him back uh, on the hill. I know there's multiple readers who have been emailing me about him the last couple of years, so I'm sure they'll be happy to see him back as well. Wrapping up the baseball section of this podcast here, Nick. Um, I should preface all that with it's only been four games, man. We got we got fifty more to go. It's it's uh, the Beavers always play well in surprise. The bigger test will come immediately. That's this week. They're going to play at the home of the Texas Rangers in Arlington, Texas, and they've got a doozy of a four-game schedule. They open with Texas Tech later this week, kind of a midweek game. Then they play number two, Arkansas, Michigan, and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State opened the year ranked and it kind of uh, kind of lost a couple games this, this opening weekend, so we'll see how they are. But a really nice test there in their second weekend of the regular season. So, Nick. I think Tech is this is a Tech in the top twenty. I know yeah, they, beat, they, beat, they just beat Oregon last weekend, didn't they? Texas Tech's ranked nineteenth. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's there's five polls, but we use the D one baseball poll, and so they're number they're number nineteen there. The Beavers are number seven. So that Arkansas game in particular will be two versus seven, and that'll be really fun because I imagine against Texas Tech they're going to kind of show their midweek lineups and play their their start their midweek guys both teams 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was AJ Lattery who, who just worked like an inning and a third over the weekend, but we'll see. They're pretty, pretty guarded on, on their, their rotation sometimes. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, but that number two or that Arkansas OSU game should feature both aces and it, and it should really be a a fun one. Is that game televised at all? It's on a flow, oh, flow, flow sports, oh. which is oh. kind of a streaming thing you, right, you'd have right. to subscribe to. My understanding is that's where all the, the games will exclusively be. So um, a couple things I was going to circle back on, well, not at least one of them. So the home run, you said 16, right? Over, over 14. 14, okay. But that just seems like a lot to, to keep up to, but I'm wondering – do they have any holes in their lineup? Because that's typically where you would – that's typically how, how these things would start to fall off. You found those holes. You could pitch mm-hmm. around guys. Do they not have anybody in the entire lineup that they can – that teams will pitch around and, and you know? They really don't. I mean, the only kind of, you know uh, – I don't want to say negative because it's four games, but the the minor you know discouragement this this weekend was was um, Elijah Hainline. He's a transfer from Washington State, kind of took over at shortstop, and you know Kyle Dernetti man that uh, spot the last two two and a half years. An incredible defender, arguably the best defensive shortstop in college baseball uh, last year in particular. And they, but really struggled to even hit 200. And so they really wanted an offensive upgrade. They got Elijah Hainline from Washington State after he hit double digits home runs, batted over 300. And, you know, he batted under under 100 for the opening weekend. So, you know, someone who's looking on paper at this team would say he's their guy that, that you might be able to exploit. But, I mean, shoot, he batted fifth in the lineup so they view uh, they view him very highly um and it's probably just a cold four games he did hit a home run you know so he did produce but um but you know other than that didn't do much yeah, i'd need but, to I mean, see we're I'd talking need, about i need to see more than four games before i write a guy off absolutely, like that absolutely 100 and you know that's the caveat with all this yeah they hit 14 home runs but it was four games um but that said it took them nine games to get to 14 home runs last year and they set the school record with 89 home runs. So that gives you an indication of, of the, you know, the potential of this lineup, but back to your, you know, are there any holes? No, there really aren't. You've got so many veterans with Bazana and Micah McDowell and, you know, Mason Guerra, Brady Casper. Those are, those guys have played a lot of baseball games and that doesn't even talk about Gavin Turley, who's a future first round, you know, draft pick who led the team in, homers last year their their catching duo tanner smith had an excellent opening weekend wilson weber who got a lot of hype uh for what he did in the fall and what he's done in camp i don't think he had a hit so that was kind of a discouraging opening opener for him but he only played in two games so that's really just two games so to your question no i do not see uh you know a lot of holes in this lineup and where the team struggled last year beyond just being less talented than they normally are, less experienced than they normally are, and having that lack of pitching depth was they went through a really cold stretch, uh, kind of early spring, late, you know, February into March or before heading into March. And I think they were batting 200 or 100 and I can't even remember now, but it was roughly 200 in Pac-12 play or it was, actually it was like 161, I think. So it was a huge slump. And I don't think this team goes into a slump like that. Even when one or two or even three guys are scuffling, the other guys are, are going to kind of pick up the slack. Caraway, who's the guy I, I mentioned earlier, is batting number nine. So when you guy have a guy who's who's hitting five hundred batting in, in the nine hole, he's got two home runs and two doubles. I think you're yeah. I think you're doing okay. The uh, the other thing I was going to circle back on anything you talked about now, but a story you wrote about Pat Casey. It's a really good story. People should read that on Oregon Live. Um, oh, thanks. I was, I was wondering. I'm reading through this story, and you, and you, and you, and you wrote all these exa- things that Pat did as motivational. And I'm wondering, could Pat Casey coach baseball in 2024? Just mm. could a guy like that coach that style in 2024 with the transfer portal and all that? What would he, I mean, you didn't cover him, yeah. obviously. I really didn't do much with him, but I'm just curious what, 
I mean, because Mitch is obviously a t- entirely different coach than mm-hmm. than Pat is, and Pat, he's old school. I, I just wonder, mm-hmm. do you think he could he could do it in in this in this era? It's a really good question. It does make you wonder. A couple things come to mind when hearing that. One thing that I didn't, two things I didn't mention in the story. I mean, the story was already so long, I just couldn't get everything in there. I could write two more stories with, with I talked to over a dozen guys. So um, one thing that I thought was interesting is, is everybody said, you know, Pat Casey really evolved over his three, four decades, whatever it was, coaching. And he was, you know, even harder on guys at the beginning, and then there was kind of this first decade and this Casey and the second decade Casey. And then by the end, he had softened quite a bit. And, you know, I think one of the anecdotes I, I relayed was from from Mitch Canham and Darwin Barney, who are like, you know, Casey's sitting in the dugout in Omaha during, a you know, a, an intense uh, game in the College World Series. And Darwin looks over at, at Mitch and is like, should we flick his ear? And, and so they both kind of went up and flicked his ears. And, you know, I think first decade Casey would have turned around and slugged one of those dudes or at least threatened to. But instead, he kind of looked back and kind of smirked when he saw who it was. And um, I don't know if his style would fly now, but he did have an evolution in which he was much more. Uh, at least by Pat Casey's standards, gentler um, by the end. But man, that dude was so intense and he's such a competitive dude and s- it had such a competitive you know, nature just probably at birth that there's only so much you can do to, to stifle that. But on the other, the other thing I was going to mention that I didn't get in there is everyone said he had this presence that – you know, you could be in the cages focused on a pitcher or you could be doing a bullpen or wherever and you you didn't know he was there, but you felt him approach. And all of a sudden something changed and you just knew, oh, oh shit, Pat Casey's here. And, um, you know, there, uh, Mitch Canham kind of described it as one time when he was in the minors and he was in spring training, Muhammad Ali walked into the locker room and it was like, wait, what's that? And you just you just felt when Muhammad Ali's presence was there because he was the greatest. And, you know, Pat Casey had a a similar kind of feeling. And so, you know, even to the day, if Pat shows up to an Oregon State practice or if the players know that Pat Casey is going to be there, they sit up taller, they focus more. And so I wonder if just his status and what is he he has accomplished would still carry over into coaching because. You're right. It's it's a different generation guys are coaching now. I mean, they're scoring over 200 points in an NBA All-Star game or whatever it was. And so it's just a different different deal. But I do I don't know to answer your question. What do you think? I kind of no, I, uh, I, I, I don't I mean, it, go, it it always goes for me it always goes back to all the Oregon State fans that reach out to me about how bad men's basketball is and you know, they always want to bring up Ralph Miller and I mm-hmm. and I think yeah, Ralph was great in his day, but I don't know whether he could coach these mm-hmm. guys today or not. I, I don't know whether his style would, would work at all. And and I I mean you gotta go you gotta at least think, okay, these guys are smart enough to know to know they probably need to adapt, but could they adapt enough and still be effective? That's unknowable. But mm-hmm. I mean I kinda think Pat would probably figure it out, but I just don't it's hard to know. I mean, you certainly couldn't get away with some of the stuff that, that he did back in the way back in the day for sure. Cause you know, guys will transfer. They just, they, they, you know, they don't want to go through the, the, a lot of these guys don't want to go through the adversity. They just don't. They, yeah. And the, you know, another thing comes to mind is everybody I talked to said he handled everybody differently and he knew how to read personalities and he, he kind of picked guys to just kind of verbally undress or to to choose to single out as kind of a message to the whole team. And he did so because he knew those particular guys could handle it. You know, I, I keep bringing up uh, Darwin and, and Canham, but, you know, Casey went hard at Mitch Canham because he knew that's what he needed and he knew he could handle it. He didn't necessarily do that to Darwin, Darwin said. He didn't really have these blow-ups at him um, in fact, there was one story I told him there where Darwin, his freshman year, he goes in after two or three weeks, he's, he's kind of in a slump and he's batting in the three hole and goes in before the game to talk to 
Coach Case, and he's like, hey, man, if you need to move me down on the order, take me out of three-hole, I totally understand. Don't feel like you have to do it for me. And, and Casey's like, well, I'm going to move you down today because you came and brought it up, but you're going to hit. And so he had a different approach with him. And I don't know. I, I, I think maybe because of how he reads guys, he, he kind of would be able to navigate that a little more. But, but you're absolutely right, man. With the transfer portal, you, you just can't be messing around because a guy could leave practice – uh, on a Tuesday and be on a new team, you know, a month later or whatever. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, uh, a balancing act, uh, these days. Um, there's no balancing what's going on with the Oregon state men's basketball team. Uh, now that we've kind of, I guess, focused on the positives going on around campus. Now let's shift to the, uh, to the blah men's hoops. Beavers are last in the pack 12 and they're going out with a whimper. Nick, the season's toast, right? Well, depends on what your depends on what your expectations were going into the year. I, I mean, I I always thought that the you know best case scenario for this team is to get somewhere near five hundred, um, and I think deep down that's what Wayne probably thought too. I mean, he's 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 he wanted to show some progress this year because he he'd been emphasizing I brought in all these new guys last year. We're building this up for a two or three year period. And we get to the third year. That's when we'll be pretty good. I don't know in college basketball, you can do that anymore, but you know, that's what that, that was, that was what Wayne sold, you know, Scott Barnes on. And, and so that's where they're going. Uh, they're 11 and 15 right now. They've got, you know, they're on a six game losing streak. So to think that they can win some of these games and get back to 500 by the end of the year seems a, li- a bit of a stretch. But they, you know, they they head down to the Bay Area this week for Cal and Stanford. Both games, you know, teams that they could beat if they played well, but they are road games. Then they have um, Oregon at Oregon. That's going to be difficult, even though they just they almost won Saturday night against the Ducks. And then they finish at home against Colorado and Utah. So. <sighs> I mean, if, like I wrote about over the weekend, it's these it's these six to eight minute stretches in a game that kills them. They've lost a bunch of winnable games this year because they just, for whatever reason, just completely forget how to play for about six to eight minutes. The rest of the game, they're pretty good. So if they can get rid of at least maybe knock that down to two minutes or something like that, or just get rid of them all together maybe they can win a few of these games. Can they get, I think the goal has got to be try to get as close to 15 wins as possible. I think if you can get to 15 wins, hold on to this roster for next year, playing the WCC. I think they got something, but they got to start, they got to start winning some of these games. They, they just got to start. They got to start turning around. It's not one thing either. It's like when they go bad, they go bad everywhere. And when they're playing well, they, they, they play well on both ends of the floor. Their post play is killing them a little bit. Casey Abekway, he just hasn't evolved this year at all. And, you know, try and show Mary all a little bit, the seven, two, um, I, he's listed as a senior, but I still think he's got another year of eligibility left. Um, he, he started against the ducks and had, had some moments, but the post play is killing them and they need to find ways to get Pope Pope going a little bit more in games. Cause when he gets going, he, he, he can really, he can really fill it up. Um, I don't know. I mean, if, if they finish with an 11, I mean, if they finish the regular season with 11 game losing streak, lose the last game, I don't know what, I don't know what you do. Cause they're stuck. I don't know. Yeah, here's can- my, my, my problem is they have three wins, man. And it's not like in conference, and it's not like the Pac-12 is just having this, you know, no. ridiculously dominant season. I mean, Arizona's no. very good, and I think they what they have two ranked teams maybe right now. So it's not like they're just playing this murderer's row, you know, every week. And so you have to with you what you're talking about with this two three year plan, you have to show growth and, and evolution and, and kind of instill some hope. And so, I mean, I look at, at these last four or five games as, you know, vitally important because you just can't end the conference season with three wins. And like you said, 11 losses in a row. And so, I mean, I don't know what you do at this well, you point. Can even but- sell, you can even sell 11 and 15 if all the, if all the losses were 
solid down to the wire type ones. But the problem is they've had several games they've lost by 20 plus points. So those, those are the situations where you go, is this team really getting any better? They, they can't have any more of those. They just, even if they lose these last five, they can't have any more of those. They got to be in the game to the end. At least I've seen a lot of these teams where when they have a season like this, they're really competitive, but they don't lose. They bring everybody back and the next year is pretty good. I've seen that quite a bit. Whether they can do that, I don't know, but they can't, they got to stop getting blown out. That's happened way too many times this season. That's that's probably been the most disappointing part of this team is is the number of blowouts they've they've been on the on the back end of. The most dangerous thing uh, with fandom and with a passionate following of any sports program, professional or college, isn't being angry about a program and being upset with the direction. It's apathy. And, and I sense that the men's basketball program right now, the fans are, they're just apathetic about it. They just are indifferent because they've, they expect, they've come to expect what's happening and they don't see, you know, hope on the horizon. And so rather than be angry about a loss because they were expecting a competitive game or a win, they just don't care. And from my perspective, after all these years of doing this, that is a death blow for a coaching staff, for a program, and on down the line. And so, I mean, obviously, Oregon State's financial situation is what it is with its conference and all that stuff. But again, when people don't care, it, it's that's the biggest problem. Well, and the worst thing that's happened to Oregon State this year is what's happened at Washington State. You know, they they had a they 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 were pretty good last year lost pretty much all their good players. Kyle went out and, and, and retooled the whole roster. Doesn't have a great, doesn't have a great situation with NIL and look where they're at. They're, they're one game out of first place and probably going to go to the NCAA tournament. And so fans look at Washington state and go, why can't we be that? You know, why can't we do that? And, and it's a fair question. And Wayne decided to go in a different direction, Still, you know, that's a question fans are going to ask. Why, why, why couldn't we have just hit the transfer portal and brought in a bunch of these guys? I guess the answer could also be, well, Oregon State tried that the year after the final, the Elite Eight, and look what happened. <laughs> they, they got a bunch of guys that they got a bunch of transfers that didn't work out, and so yeah, I don't know. It's, that it's was a different it's a situation, situation. Of COVID and not being able to to build relationships and do right. their due diligence. Yeah, that kind I mean, of certainly out, yeah. that was a factor. Yeah, that was a yeah. factor. So, um, all right. Well, before we get out of here, Nick, the great Nick Dashell has a, a rule change he wants to propose. Let's get into it, Nick. What, what do you got for us? Well, I don't know if I have a rule change. So much. it's just it's just men's basketball is the one of, of the three, the three people most pay attention to, you know, the NBA, women's college basketball, men's college basketball. They're the one sport that doesn't advance the ball late in games after timeouts to midcourt. And as you saw against the UCL Oregon State women's game, what a what a what a boost that does to the end of game situations. And you saw what happened with the Oregon State men's game, where Oregon scores with one second left to take the lead. Oregon State's got to go the length of the floor in a second, impossible. But had they got the ball at mid court, Oregon State women were in the same situation Friday night, one point one seconds left, and they and they got a game winner. Oregon State men weren't in that situation. I mean, college basketball has got to figure out this. Is still, an enter- it's an entertainment business. You got to make. I mean, I get that. You know, the purists say, "Well, you should be able. To, you should have to go the length of the floor and in any situation." Well, it, it seems to work in the NBA just fine, and it works for women's basketball. I'm not sure why college men's basketball is the same situation. And the other thing the men do is they only play two halves instead of four quarters, which which I guess no, don't, don't excuse it. Don't excuse it. Well, some people would go, well, that's six and one half a dozen. Of them. But the, but the difference is for women, they play four quarters. They have five fouls in each quarter. Men mm-hmm. go seven, seven fouls. And then you go to one and one until 10. Well, that one and one, that one and one is a killer in men's basketball. Cause a lot of times you end up sending a post to the, to the free throw line and a one and one, they miss the front end and the, 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 the possessions toast and, and the women, they don't, they don't have one-on-ones the NBA. They don't have one-on-one one-on-one. So I, I think that's another one that they could look at just to make a, just to make a little bit more of an entertaining game. 
I know. I, big, uh, I know what a big fan of college basketball you are, Joe. So yeah, yeah. don't get me started. I took my eight-year-old. She started playing basketball for the first time. She's played in about four games. I'll tell you, there's nothing like watching a uh, an eight-year-old girls basketball game. It's incredible. I took her over to the uh, a pilots game a couple weeks ago. Uh, and she absolutely loved it. We had a blast. But it, I was reminded that why the heck are they playing two halves? It makes no sense. Every other level of basketball around the world plays four quarters. It's a four-quarter game. My Tuesday night basketball game, well, we play four quarters. It's a different kind of a setup. But, I mean, even at our level, old man, idiot game, we play four quarters. And and I agree with you on, on the uh, – you should get the ball – at half court, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer. It creates uh, more drama. I mean, I can think of one iconic play in my all my years of watching basketball, Grand Hill to Christian Leitner. Other than that, I mean, it, and that was a miracle. It takes a miracle. It doesn't necessarily take a, a miracle, you know, to, to inbound the ball and run a, a set even with seconds left. Um, you know, I mean, we, Oregon we State and UCLA scored twice in 2.2 seconds because they were able mm-hmm. to have the ball at half court. Exactly. Um, um you, uh, by the way, do you coach your your eight year old team no. or no? See, I do. Yeah. I, I coach both my daughters, third grade, third grade team. Oh, nice. do they have the eight eight foot rim, nine foot rim. No, 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 no. They do full ten foot rim, so there's a ton of air balls if they even get shots off. But they do use a smaller a smaller ball. So oh, I don't yeah. know. Well, please yeah. tell me that the, the league doesn't doesn't allow zone defenses. There's no zone defenses. You can't double team, and in fact, you can't play full court defense. Although there's some teams that skirt that rule, but you're you're just supposed to let them bring up the ball until they get to half court, and then you can play defense. So yeah, yeah I just mm-hmm. I, I yeah third grade basketball man that was it's, I remember I remember I had this one girl on our team. She used to skip up the floor. And we'd go, Maria, this is basketball. You run up the floor. You don't skip. (laughs) We haven't had any skipping, but um, Coach Chris is a genius. He hands out 50 cents for every steal and block. And so my daughter, Finley, she just chases steals all day because she wants to bring home, bring home those duggets. So, um, wow. you know, you got, you got to motivate them how you got to motivate them. But it's fun. Uh, and they play four quarters of basketball uh, on that note. And uh, yeah, I think we solved uh, solved all the ails here. Is there anything um, anything before we get out of here, Nicholas? Nope. Two weeks to football. Two weeks to spring spring football. You know, maybe uh, the next pod or the one after that, we'll do a little spring preview, depending upon how it sets up with that. It's March fifth, right? Is the spring opener March fifth, Tuesday, March fifth? That's why it's exactly two weeks from. In fact, they'll be wrap, getting close to wrapping up their first practice, just as we're finishing up this pod so there you go and we'll go ahead and finish up this pod on that note thank you so much for listening we'll uh we had to move from monday to tuesday this week because there was a baseball game yesterday but we're going to try to stick to mondays moving forward so uh enjoy your uh, week of oregon state sports and we'll talk to you next week take care